Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. I am Dan Lost, joined this time by Emily Costanzo and Stephanie Weissenberger. This episode, we'll keep it pretty short, is an analysis of the Deshaun Watson no indictment from the second grand jury, the Deshaun Watson press conference, and where we go from here. So I guess here's the update. Deshaun Watson traded to the Cleveland Browns, um, and then it was an announcement that a second grand jury in Brazoria County, Texas, an adjacent county, was also going to have a grand jury convened to see if he should be indicted on those charges. The Cleveland Browns claimed that they were aware of the prospect of the second grand jury at the time they made the trade for him. And wouldn't you know the second grand jury? It's one criminal complaint. I think there were 10 total criminal complaints. Nine were filed in Harris County, and the 10th was filed in Brazoria County. Now two separate grand juries come back, and they say no indictment. Uh, This one was a little odd because it happened, obviously, after the trade. So the Browns either made the biggest gamble in the history of the NFL with that trade, or they had some inside information um, you know, from the prosecutor's office. I'm not sure where, but the entire time, dang, Rusty Harden has invited the grand jury. He, he said, we welcome it. So either this guy was bluffing, you know, and he just was lying and got lucky, or he knew the whole time what the result was going to be and has some ace up his sleeve. So Steph, let's start with you. What are your uh, overall thoughts on the outcome of the indictment? We'll stay there for now because I have other thoughts on the the press conference. But what are your thoughts on the no indictment being returned? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely prompts some questions, again, into the situation, just knowing that there are still 22 civil complaints out there. Just because he didn't get charged criminally doesn't mean that he is not going to face some sort of punishment civilly. And also the NFL still is able to, you know, suspend him. And I think that even though he missed the entirety of last year, pretty much based on his own will, it's not like the NFL actually suspended him. That was more of the Texans decision. I'm very surprised and disappointed in the NFL that they still have yet to really address this whole situation, you know, at least with the MLB, We'll talk about that. You know, Trevor Bauer, he was suspended almost immediately. And Rob Manfred might be one of the worst of all time, but he did a hell of a lot better than Roger Goodell did in terms of dealing with such serious allegations like this. And so after another, you know, second indictment coming back, he's not getting indicted. It prompts some questions and just makes me a little bit uneasy about the whole situation. The Browns should not be very happy with him on his team. It really doesn't make sense why he was even traded there while these civil complaints are still ongoing. So it's, it's interesting. It's. I agree. And and the thing that I think we have to keep coming back to is that the Browns didn't just trade for him. The Browns traded for him and gave him the highest paying guaranteed contract of all time. And guaranteed. By 80 right. million, by 80 million, not by a dollar, not by, not by, not by, not by a little bit. Like, This is so, again, and you go back to what Steph said about there's still 22 civil lawsuits. And again, we, on this podcast, I think we do a great job of saying innocent until proven guilty. I believe in the justice system and all of the rest of it. However, we are absolutely throwing this guy on a pedestal when he still has 22 civil civil suits against him. It just, it it doesn't make sense to me. So the third part of this, right? So there was a day... Thursday, for a large portion of the day, there was a conversation about whether the Browns traded for Deshaun Watson without any contingencies. 
So what that means in our NFL world, sometimes you can have a trade. And, and remember, last year's trade deadline, the Miami Dolphins, there were reports, hey, we're willing to trade for Deshaun Watson, but we want contingencies in place just in case he's charged with the crime. Now, I don't know if the Dolphins are going to admit to that, but that was what was being publicly reported. So the question was, this time around, did Cleveland have any type of contingencies? Did they have any type of protection from a salary perspective, from a draft pick compensation perspective? So I asked around, I asked in my NFL world, no one said yes. They said at best they, they weren't sure, but they didn't think so. And then I posed the question openly and, um, you know, tweet had a couple tens of thousands of impressions. No one corrected me. I said, I just asked openly, the, here's the $230 million question. Was there a contingency? So this is why we can't lose sight of this. The Browns were so desperate to get a trade done in what was an incredible, incredible seller's market. A, they parted with three first round picks. B, $230 million guaranteed with that weird one-year million base salary. Okay, and I'm sure Watson's team asked for that, so that's, that's maybe three, okay? And then on top of it, there is certainly the optics that the Browns were so desperate that they gambled and they played poker, right? They got one card to a flush, right? And they, they, got, they just got to wait for the turn of the river and, oh, you know what, let's risk it. Let's throw all the chips in the middle. Maybe we'll get a flush. Maybe we'll get indicted. Not a big deal. That's how crazy the, the Browns acted. So- now, I guess we can, we can kind of unpack it a little bit, but I can't get past this point. And I've been pretty careful in the way I've been phrasing things. I don't want to pull an Adam Schefter and say that the truth has come out or anything like that. But when you have two separate grand juries in two different counties with two different prosecutors, at a certain point, we as the lawyers have to take a step back and say, certainly there's a world where the fix is in, the prosecutor doesn't want to have misdemeanor charges against uh, you know, the Houston Texans guy. Um, you know, maybe they weren't trying that hard at the grand jury. But the problem is when it happens twice now, you kind of have to start having this uncomfortable conversation that maybe the evidence isn't there or alternatively, right? And again, I'm, I'm one that supports, you know, innocent until proven guilty. I'm just watching the legal system. In order to get an indictment, you have to show probable cause. And unless you're a big conspiracy theorist, which, you know, it's not the first time it's happened, but, you know, you have to start saying, is it possible that Deshaun Watson has some type of smoking gun that you know is being presented somehow to these grand juries. The defense is submitting some type of packet, and he's getting off on these time and time again. Remember, Steph, I remember I was with you in the office when we were talking about this, that there was a conversation mm -hmm. early on, I don't know whether they were phrase it, but that this was being positioned as a case for settlement, early on aggressive settlement. Maybe that's what's being presented to the grand jury. I'm not sure, but certainly the prosecutor doesn't have an obligation to show both sides of the case. Maybe that's what they're doing, maybe they're not. But it's hard to get around the fact that now a second grand jury has returned no indictment. I'll give it M, Steph, whoever wants to take it. Real quick, going back to settlement prospects, it does prompt the question, the insanely high contract value. Is some of the money that the Browns is giving Watson, is there some sort of contingency in the contract or oral contract that they were like, you need to use some of that money? and settle with every single one of these civil plaintiffs because we Absolutely. need these cases to disappear. Because also, I don't even think the Browns really investigated the civil plaintiffs. So it really doesn't make any sense to me. But in we're, terms of- We're gonna get to the press conference, but Watson said he's not settling. So he's painted himself in a corner. He says, I am not settling the case. Which makes sense for him to say at this stage in the game. I mean, if he, if he does settle, that implicitly implies his guilt. And, and I understand him saying that now. But, I mean, looking down the line, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised, Steph, if you're right, that some of that, some of that massive paycheck goes to that. 
Well, like, think about it. And, and, you know, you guys know as much as I like to stir the pot on social media, I meant it. I meant, you know, right. if somebody gets paid $80 million more than next closest guarantee, and let's not, let's, let's remember, Sean Watson is not the undisputed best quarterback in the NFL. Josh right. Allen has something to say. Pat Mahomes has something to say. Rodgers, you know, just won the MVP. So to pay this guy 80, did you just say Brady? Come on, he's back. He's back. He's the GOAT, but you know. I know you got to give him the nod anyway. Fine. Fine. But the, the, you know, you're not, you're not wrong, but the point, the point being, this is the guy that gets that money. So is there a, a version, right? Where Stephanie potentially they paid him extra and they earmarked that money to settle the case. Sure. But then what did Watson just say today? Well, I, I don't want to bear to leave with the press conference. Okay. So I just want to point out, like there are people, Cleveland Browns fans in my replies that are yelling at me, like, Dan, you're refusing to state the obvious. The obvious is just that there's not enough evidence here. And I'm like, I'm not going to say that you're wrong. And like, there's a reading where these cases are being decided on their merits. There's also a reading possibly, right? Like, and I'll say it again and I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. The fact that the grand juries came back with no indictment, guess what it did? It gave the Houston Texans three first round picks. It did. So uh, that's a reason why the prosecutor's office might not want to push very hard in the case. And maybe that's a reason why none of these indictments came back. So I don't, I'm not saying that that's what happened. And I'm not also saying that I, you know, that the evidence is insufficient. All I'm saying is that the grand jury is meant to be secret. And we do know there were reports, which I know I've spoke to you both about. With the first grand jury proceeding, only one witness provided live testimony and the other eight weren't called. They were in the room adjacent. They weren't called. So that to me is a little worrisome. And then let's just call yeah. a spade a spade. If once the first grand jury doesn't come back and Matt Timpanic could be on the podcast list, I spoke to him at length um, yesterday, but we had this conversation. If you're the prosecutor's office in Brazoria County, why go through the motions with this grand jury for the second time? Don't you probably feel the fix is in? Don't you know that the grand jury probably saw what happened with, you know, Houston Texans quarterback the first time, you know, so most likely you're not going to get it the second time. Um, I, you know, we just got to call, call like I see it. I don't know why that, that all nine witnesses didn't testify in front of the grand jury if that's indeed what happened. That speaks to the prosecutor kind of mailing it in, a football term here, punting to the grand jury and just kicking it to them and saying, hey, you guys figure it out. But if you know you don't get an indictment, again, there's certainly a world where it's just the evidence. So I'm, I'm somebody here that I want to support you know, accusers and, and victims, but we know the law, guys. Probable cause is a much lower standard than beyond a reasonable doubt much lower standard than the preponderance of the evidence. So if I am Tony Busby uh, and I'm the accuser's attorney, I'm not feeling great about my cases anymore. I'm not. And maybe the messaging from the press conference, which I'm going to give to you guys now, is a signal to Tony Busby, we're ready to take this to the finish line. And sometimes you give that messaging to force the other side to settle the case. And so I just, I'm just going to point that out here. Okay, Steph, I, I, I wanted to you know, lay out the foundation Press conference today. You want to give us some of the, the high notes of the press conference? I know Emily is chopping at the bit to talk about her favorite line that came out. <laughs> yeah, well, we can start with the fact that Deshaun Watson denied all allegations of sexual assault against him by the 22 women who still have civil lawsuits against him. And he added that he looks forward to clearing his name once everything is resolved. So he even pointed out that everything is not resolved yet. Hello, Browns, what are you doing? <laughs> and the fact that the general manager, like I was saying earlier, Andrew Barry, he goes on and he's just talking about, it was really through this five month odyssey and the information we were able to amass, the reference work. We had these independent investigative resources to get a comprehensive perspective on all the cases. Yet the strange thing is, is 
Tony Busby came out and said the Browns didn't contact him or any of his clients. So how much of a comprehensive perspective, how much investigative work could you really have done if you didn't even speak to the attorney who's representing these 22 women, nor the 22 women themselves? Right. Barry also said that he spoke to, or I guess his executive team spoke to women on staff prior to accepting the Watson, or I guess going forth with the Watson trade, which I take issue with that because I think that at the end of the day, it's a cop-out and it's saying, well, I talked to some women and some women allegedly are fine with this. Well, the basis of this whole claim is, again, if these women are coming forward and being brave enough to come forward with the allegations that they have, again, whether or not they are true, time will tell. But for all intents and purposes, it doesn't matter that the Browns executive staff, whoever the females on those that executive staff are okay with the trade. The, The I would find so I would be so much more impressed with Watson and his team if they did go to the victims and they and they had valuable conversation. And the, the, the whole point is creating a culture wherein these types of allegations don't have to keep happening. So right. I, I, mean, I mean, Barry kept coming forward and saying that he did this as, you know, to me, it's a box check. And, and that means nothing. Going back to the prosecutor who didn't even call some of the witnesses, one, it's like you were saying, these women have bravely come forward. They have put their name and their reputations on the line. And the prosecutors just disrespected them by not calling everyone to the witness stand, yet forcing them to actually come to the courthouse and sit there and wait. And then the Browns are just making up excuses. Like you were saying, it would be a lot more important if they actually spoke to the women who were involved in this. Speaking to any sort of woman, oh, I just spoke to a woman who knows Deshaun Watson in passing. What does that do? Nothing. Well, I guess there's there's two two levels of the conference that we should press conference. We should you know we should at least talk about. We'll keep this episode fairly tight. But Watson was asked why he used so many massage therapists, and I, it was an interesting question. You know, people that listen to our podcast for a while know that the reports were out that he used forty masseuses over like a year and a half period. And the reason we know that there were 40 was because there's the 22 civil cases. There's a couple of women that filed criminal complaints that did not file civil cases. So, and then there's one or two, I think that spoke to Sports Illustrated, but that um, are anti-Watson. So we'll put that number at like 25, 26. There were a number of other women, we'll say 10 or so, uh, maybe even more than that, that provided affidavits or, or statements in support of Watson said, I gave him a massage and there was no nefarious conduct. So we kind of said on the podcast, I remember at the time, like, you might have done more harm than good, buddy. Like you got another 25 that said that you didn't that you did the right thing. So okay, maybe there was no civil, right? Maybe there's no civil culpability. Maybe there's no crime. Maybe there's not even enough for indictment. You got to answer the hard questions, right? If you're gonna be the face of a franchise. Why did you use 40 massage therapists when there's a team issued therapist, right? I get COVID. COVID's in the middle of all this. Let's not be mindful. And there was a world in March of 2020, you know, May of 2020, where people were scared to have contact with other humans. Yet Deshaun Watson is doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on the amount of strangers that he's interacting with. It's, it's odd. So I don't can't maybe not necessarily crime occurred, just it's not necessarily typical activity. So Watson said today that social media, quote, you know, that social media, I'm paraphrasing, factors into why he used so many massage therapists, but he can't get into too much detail with legal proceedings still ongoing. That's an answer that is troublesome, problematic, curious. I don't know what you want to say. There's no real 
explanation for it. So this, the direct quote was, I can't really get into that for legal reasons, but I will say that nowadays there is social media. I have no clue what that means. I, I can guarantee that he was prepped on that particular question. And I don't know, he, he failed on that question. I don't know. I mean, I guess I'll, I don't know. No one has to answer this, but I, I found that answer to be problematic to the optics of the PR signing aspect. I agree with everything you just said. I, I don't, again, I, there's so much of what he's saying that's going in one ear and out the other. So, so yes, there's social media. I, I, I just, what is that? I don't want to sound like I don't believe him, but I think that's just a meaningless point. I don't want to sound like I don't believe him, but I don't believe him. I'm going to, I'm going right. to, okay. as long so, as you, as soon as you hear the, but yeah. Okay, so I got one more for you. Now, Emily, I'm going to give this to you. This is the, the reason I wanted to have you guys on the podcast. Sean mm-hmm. Watson, okay? This is, again, we've, we've gone over this, but if you're coming to a new, you, you missed the, the episode we did with Panic. You know, the, there are four teams in the running for Watson, okay? It's the Falcons, it's the Saints, it's the Panthers, it's the Browns. You know, and they're giving their various pitches, they're giving their various trade proposals, whatever it is. The Texans have apparently approved of all four teams' trade proposals, so it's just a matter of Watson picking a team. Texans don't care how much money Watson gets paid. Okay, whatever. So uh, they're down to four. Okay. Watson's camp calls the Browns. You guys are out. So the Browns, they have the whole nonsense with Baker. He calls the Panthers. You guys are out. So keep that in mind. The optics are that the Browns did something to come back over the top and win Watson over because it was down to two, and those two weren't the Browns. So Watson today was asked at his press conference about how the $230 million contract, fully guaranteed contract, factored into why he chose the Browns. Watson's response, he says he didn't even know about the contract offer until he decided on choosing Cleveland. Watson's not under oath. He's not under oath here, guys. We're not going to have a perjury. I'm not too sure about that. I just, you know, this is like saying I went to the highest scale steak restaurant, but I thought it was, I thought they served French fries and chicken tenders. Like, what? (laughs) It just, it doesn't, it, it logically... Everything aside, it makes no sense because, again, we're not talking about, you know, a, a dollar over the, the max amount that has been offered in the NFL. $80 million more, and you're saying you had no idea after, like, Dan, like you said, having already, you know, tossed the Browns to the side? Oh, come, come on. Him saying things like that just automatically call into question his credibility for the entire thing. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you want to laugh? So you guys both know I made the joke. I'm like, I'll take things that, that didn't happen for $500. <laughs> well, I'll give them credit where credit's due. Friend of the show, Chris Giovanni, he responds and he writes, Dan, I feel like you were truly undervaluing the charming and picturesque setting that is Cleveland. I'm like, that's it. That's it. He just <laughs> thought long and hard to himself. And he's like, right. I know Cleveland's not offering me as much money, but I think right. Cleveland is so beautiful. Except Watson's on the record of saying he didn't want to go to a cold weather city. So, Emily, you are a million percent right. In a case that comes down to credibility, it's not that good to be lying about that. And I also, we should point out one thing. While we're on the substance, right, this is a a legal show here. I think the Browns look like complete buffoons. I I do. Because this is a case that comes down to a he said, she said case. Guess who the Browns didn't speak to? She. They spoke to he. Exactly. Fifty percent. Fifty percent. They didn't speak. Like they, they didn't. They didn't speak to them. So you can tell me all you want. We did our due diligence. We're great. We're the Browns. How about this, right? Why don't you just be honest with us? You didn't do your due diligence, right? You you didn't speak to their side, and, and they're claiming today at the press conference we didn't want to interfere with the criminal investigation. Here's the part that no one talks about, right? The NFL has been speaking to these victims for months. We've known that. 
Right? You know what the Browns probably did? If we're, if we're really being honest, we're really trying to read behind the scenes here. They probably read the statements and the interviews that the NFL took with these victims, and they made a decision. So it's not really true that they didn't speak with the victims, but you know, it's not really a good look that you didn't speak with Tony Busby. I'm not sure why you didn't. I'm not sure why that would necessarily interfere with the criminal investigation. But guys, at the end of the day, a decision was made by ownership, by Jimmy Hassel, to make the decision to take this gamble. We're going to put the face of our franchise in, in with Watson. Again, we are on record on this podcast. It's okay that Watson can play, but let's just be honest what we're doing here. Let's be honest that we're taking a risk on a player who's very talented with a, you know, not the cleanest image. Browns are saying, we did our due diligence, 22 women are lying. That's what they're telling me. So, you know, I, I put the blame on Jimmy Hassan. I'm not going to necessarily put the blame on the GM, but um, Steph, I know you saw this. What, what do you think about the owners not showing up, not, not being there to answer the hard-hitting questions? That's exactly what I was about to say when you were talking about ownership. I think that it is disrespectful and honestly just shows the type of non-investigation that they put on. They don't want to face these questions. They do not want to deal with the fallout of their actions. And that seems to be a recurring trend throughout this entire case. Deshaun Watson tried to settle with one of the plaintiffs early on. He's still trying to settle. It's just deny, deny, deny. And the owners, the fact that they didn't show up is absolutely ridiculous. Kimberly they were Martin unavailable. The they had a, a scheduling conflict. That's what it was. They had a, they had a hit a tea time. That's what it was, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, tea right. Time. Well, Kimberly Martin from ESPN put it really in a nicely put statement. She said, the absence of Jimmy and D Haslam's today is a complete joke, in my opinion. Ownership mortgaged its future and signed off on the most guaranteed money on a single contract in NFL history amid allegations of sexual misconduct and assault and let Andrew Barry deal with the in-person fallout. At least own up to it and be a man and stand up at this press conference and defend the player that you just gave that much money to fully guaranteed while he still has 22 sexual misconduct lawsuits against him, regardless of whether he was not indicted. It, it just doesn't seem right in my opinion that they're acting this way. The part that I have a problem with, and again, I have a lot of Brown fans that, you know, are being critical of some of my comments, but you know, I, I think the guy deserves to play in the NFL and I will keep saying that I just, I don't like the whitewashing of everything that's happening. The the optics today, we did our due diligence. Deshaun's a good guy. He's, he's a man of the community. It's like, we got that. That's all fine. But you still have 22 pending civil sexual assault cases. So the Browns have to say, essentially, right, this is, this is what they have to say. 22 women are lying. So I respect that the grand jury didn't come back with an indictment. We still have 22 women out here. So the Browns kind of have to own that. And they have to say, yes. That is our position. We are saying that 22 women are lying. Anything else that they say about the press conference, I'm not listening to it. I'm waiting for them to say that part, that we we looked at the 22 women in the eye and we found them not to be credible. So everyone can yell at me if they want, you know, that the Browns did their homework, that there's no case here. You, you can tell me there's no criminal case, but there is a civil case that is still pending. There are 22 of them. And until those go away in some way, shape or form, this is a very uncomfortable situation. It's a very awkward press conference. The Browns, maybe, you know, and I, I mentioned this very quickly earlier, Rusty Harden, the whole time of this case, saying we welcome a grand jury. We welcome it. And I've been on here saying I think he's full of it. But you don't just win at two different grand juries by accident. 
you win at the grand jury on if you have something, some ace in the hole that you're going to win or the fix is in, right? One of the two. So let's see what that evidence is. You know, it's going to come out now to put a final pin on this press conference. Deshaun Watson said he's not going to settle the cases. So wheels of justice turn very slowly. Good luck, Deshaun. These are not going to be settled until late 2023, 2024, but you're going to be dealing with these for two seasons. So as long as Browns fans are aware of that, they're okay with this looming over, there's a dark cloud over the organization. As long as they're okay with that, our goal on this purpose has been satisfied. We are here to educate people on the aspects of the case that the ESPNs and Fox Sports, until they want to hire some of us sports lawyers out of conduct detrimental, they do not film. They do not report on this stuff. So this is going to be looming around for a while. Can I just say something before we finish? Some people are forgetting that this Browns organization was literally fighting for a single win not too long ago. They were one, arguably the worst NFL team for many, many, many years. And so I'm not too surprised that they're seemingly botching this entire Deshaun Watson situation also. And, you know, tough luck if it doesn't work out for them. Em? I mean, I, I agree with what Steph just said. And, and the glimmer of success that they found is arguably at the hands of Baker Mayfield and they're very being very quick to cast him aside. So overall, um, I wasn't a Browns fan and I'm not going to be one. I'm hearing reports that Browns fans are canceling season tickets. Not a good scene over in Cleveland. I wish all, all of our friends in Cleveland, we have a bunch of them between uh, uh, our friends over at the Cleveland Guardians roller derby team. I don't think we have any friends in the Cleveland baseball organization, but you know, shocker that a Cleveland professional sports organization botching the PR around this. So M. Steph, I got to bring in Mike here. He's been listening in the background. We got to do some business. We got to talk some sponsors. Okay, reminder that our podcast now has a second sponsor, Underdog Fantasy. NBA playoffs are around the corner. They have best ball, NFL best ball for season-long fantasy. We just missed their March Madness special. They had a, a bunch of deals when the Cougars played. They boosted those odds. Houston Cougars who fell to Villanova. So if you want to check out our sponsored fantasy site, we are now all things underdog. Our promo code is conduct over there. Refer friend bonuses. And we're all friends over here at Conduct Detrimental. So certainly check out Underdog Fantasy. And that reminds me, Mike, we've had our March Madness pool. The Conduct Detrimental March Madness pool is in full swing as we enter the final four. Are you ready for this, Mike? I'm ready. Micah, the Woo Meister, is in first place. He's got Duke as the champ. Mark Dudzik is actually a good friend of my brother's. He's got Villanova to win it all. And Chip Manoush, who another actually fantasy baseball friend of mine. So I actually know the top three. Now, he has Auburn winning also. He's not going to win, but certainly gets a shout out. Those are our top three. We got some Nebraska people, but we had, some, we had a good showing here, Mike. Get 150 people sign up. Winner, again, gets to be on the podcast. It's a little bit of an interview segment. Rest assured, Mike, you and I are not winning this pool anymore. No, I did not have a chance. I had Gonzaga in this one. And as I went back and looked at my bracket, I don't understand why, but this was the worst bracket I created. I created about six that I had in a bunch of different pools. And this was by far the worst bracket I had. I'm excited about UNC going because I had UNC against Duke. So that's an exciting part of my one bracket, but that I've got Kansas winning it all there. So, which could still happen. Kansas looked really good in the second half. Kansas certainly could still happen. My team, Arizona is out. I have no shot anymore for a while. I was hovering around the top 10, but not meant to be. Mike, again, listen, we are loyal to Themis. Themis is our number one here. We love underdog, but listen, those guys can fight from the bottom. They got to hang around for about a year or so. Then they can be our, you know, they can be the running for favorite sponsor, but you know, uh, we love Themis. 
And Themis loves Underdog. It's a nice, happy family over at Conduct. Those guys, Themis, are sponsoring the UVA softball tournament. We had Hunter Bedard on last week talking a lot of smack. We had the UVA official softball account now clapping back at U of F. Listen, I think it's too late to sign up for UVA, but those guys, I think they have 50 teams from uh, 35 schools across the country. If you do not know what the UVA softball invitational tournament is, you should now if you listen to the last episode, but I spoke to them and it's too late for me now. I'm going to be away on business uh, next week, but next year, rest assured, New York Law School will send a team and I will be there live in the dugout coaching. Okay. See my voice, see how it's going now. It's from a lot of screaming. I will have no voice at the end of next year's competition, but I will be there. <laughs> Mike, you're going to go coach Syracuse. Can I, can I get a guarantee from you? Oh, wow. I would love that. I'm a veteran. I played with Syracuse for one year. I was supposed to go my 3L year, but COVID canceled it. And then they obviously they canceled the one after that too in 2021. So it's exciting that this is the first year back in a couple of years. It's, it's, a, it's a great tournament and I would love to come coach with Syracuse. Let us see. Let us see, Mike. We'll see what the next year holds for us, but certainly it's great to, to have the competition back. So we will put this episode in the books. Dan Wallach is at Wallach Legal, myself at Sports Law Lost. You can find Emily and Stephanie on TikTok together at Sports Law. For everyone in Conduct Detrimental, we are continuing to report on the story as it comes in. Obviously, stay tuned. And yeah, that'll put this in the books. We will see everyone next time on another episode of Conduct Detrimental.